Welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 236. Uh, this week we got Clackamas Coot is back. Thanks a lot for joining us, Coot. Well, thank you for the invite. Okay. I, uh, I was really excited because I just got the uh, confirmation today that I'll be going to work for uh, the, this farm here in Southern Oregon that I've been doing, like I said before, uh, I've worked with them for over 10 years. In fact, uh, helped them get set up on using larger pots. We're going to go with the in-ground pots made by the same company, the parent company of uh, Smart Pots, uh, which is Tree Bag Company. Uh, High Caliper, I think, is the legal name. Anyway, they've been uh, creating in-ground pots for the, the sapling industry for many decades. And it's one of the standard materials used in uh, sapling production, which is a big industry here in parts of Oregon. So imagine a 600 gallon pot in the ground and uh, running probably about a foot, I guess, of uh, crushed rock as a barrier against vermin. Plus it'll also provide, uh, well, you know this better than I do, added uh, drainage. Uh, complete drainage so we can uh, control that to a degree. The main advantage instead of having a smart pot up on top of the soil is that you're not going to have heat issues as with it being in the in the soil, the, the pot itself. It's still made out of the same material, post-consumer plastics. A lot of people call them fabric and they're not, well they're fabric in the sense that they have holes in it but they're not fabric that it's a cloth, it's a, a plastic so and they're made here in Oklahoma, so they're not uh, imported plastics out of China or elsewhere. It's made in, uh, they've been, they started in Oklahoma and that's where they still are. I think they're on the third generation family. Because I knew the, the founder, he was the grandfather, he passed away uh, a few years ago and then the, the, his children and now the children of those, the grandchildren in other words. So I've had, I've had a good working relationship with him for many years. And uh, yeah, you ought to check into him, you know, for maybe it might work for some customers, maybe not all of yours, but it's another uh, option. It's called uh, treebagcompany.com or treebag or something. Treebagger, you get the idea, you'll find. There's probably a link at the SmartPot webpage, uh, high caliper, which is a way of measuring the diameter of a tree when it's this many feet from the soil line and that many feet, see what I mean? So it's called the caliper reading. And anyway, that's how, what, what the name means. So you can tell just from the name that they're trying to appeal to commercial uh, producers and not, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it, but just hobbyists or, you know, what have you. Sorry, I had uh, issues with my mute button there. Um, so tell us more about this particular project. Uh, what, um, well, they've been growing legally for at least, let's see, at least 12 years. And uh, no more than that, because it was, they were uh, uh, medical growers before, which was a whole different set of laws. I don't want to get into it, but Oregon's really had an interesting... Uh, 23 years since 
medical cars were authorized. And um, so it's on 100 acres, the farm, and you get an, an organ, your license is by this number of square feet. So the, the lower license is 20,000 square feet, and then the big license is 40,000 square feet. Basically a half acre and a full acre for, you know, rounded out. What's nice though is that there's plenty of uh, outbuildings because it was a horse training facility. So there's three or four or 5,000 square foot concrete slabs uh, already in place and with drainage and all that. So setting up the uh, worm bins and again, it'll be uh, modified uh, smart pots for breathing and with a uh, pole barn built on top of the concrete. So we can have some kind of temperature control and be able to have production most of the year, not maybe 12 months for sure, but at least 11, 10 and a half, 11 months. And um, given my record here with uh, suppliers and packing houses, places that do soil, it's pretty easy for me to get soil mixed and bagged in uh, two yard totes and then get them moved up and down the inter, uh, Interstate 5. So uh, that's a big plus. And um, well, I know you don't grow this way, but see what you think. I, I, my uh, proposal today was that do two product lines. Well, three. One would be a mixed soil ready to go. Receive it, portion it out, put your plants in, and you'll start dancing. Then have another product that's just the bulk stuff, the uh, sphagnum peat moss uh, with the pumice and what have you. That way commercial growers could buy it. Maybe they have their own newt program or, you know, uh, amendment program. So then they could sell that and then sell just the uh, amendments for, you know, the, uh, well, the amendments, the, the stuff that I not only me, but they've been using it for several years, so they have a track record with it. Um, and they've always, uh, not well before me, but after I kind of became friends with them, I got them to move up to the giant pots. They were doing 800s for a couple of years. So that's, <laughs> that's two goddamn uh, pallets of soil. You see what I mean? It's... Uh, get some pretty monstrous uh, plants like uh, Reader Steve and I were talking the other night, you know, so it's pretty cool. And so, but they already have the track record there, so they know the capabilities. What they haven't done before this is get control on the uh, microbiology, the compost, the worm castings. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty exciting project, I'm really, and we're going to be doing uh, some, creating some seeds uh, using my genetics, and then um, also cuts, uh, rooted cuts, and th that's legal to sell to other growers in, in uh, the state of Oregon, other licensed growers, I should say, so... That's super awesome. Um, we've had uh, Marty and I have been working hard on uh, launching the, uh, the website over apmjclass.com. Uh -huh. um, I'm going to do a quick screen share here. 
to show everybody. It does. Uh, I paste it into chat, but all of a sudden Google's been censoring us. So if I post huh. it, that it'll get deleted. It's kind nice of nice picture. Beautiful. Yeah, that's some Marty's. Um, we have some really nice pictures we've taken over the years, different cultivars and things, and different. Uh, you know, you know your IPM is on point when you can have frogs that survive your IPM management plan. So, you know, we're uh, pretty proud of that. As, as much as we don't like them in there, uh, obviously they're not the best thing from a biosecurity standpoint. But again, it kind of is a, it shows, you know, in an honest way, um, you know, how safe it is, the, the protocols that we're using. So we have a whole bunch of different um, segments on different topics and uh, interviews and um, video, wow, different cool. All different types of stuff. We have over 600 different, 650 slides, and uh, hundreds of different lectures on on how to grow aquaponic cannabis. So um, definitely a cool, uh, a cool class to check out. Uh, and then um, you can also check us out over apmjnutes.com if you need some aquaponic cannabis nutrients uh, that are fish safe for your system. Cool. So, Marty, looks like Marty joined us as well. Hey, what's going on, guys? Can you guys hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Yeah, you, you have a good uh, 420. I did, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I had a couple friends over earlier and then hung out with you guys for quite a while, but <clears throat> yeah, it was a good time. Some friends brought me a couple gifts. Some nice uh, drum bowls they brought over. Looking on right now. So that was nice. And then, you know, the usual, take care of plants, work on the homestead, <coughs> move some rock around, build tanks, fed fish, cut clones, transplanted clones, harvested plants, restock plants, <laughs> fun stuff like that. What are you guys up to tonight? I uh, just working on uh, on getting stuff together. I just finished cooking dinner, so hopped on the show. So yeah. Um. So what uh what are some of the more interesting things that you've seen lately, Coot? You've been you get a chance to see a lot of different uh, a lot of different viewpoints on on these different talks and things like that. What are some of the more interesting things that you've come across lately, or maybe some stuff you'd like to see fleshed out or talked about more? Well, your uh, method, methodology, um, because I'm interested, I've studied uh, the early ancient versions that originated in Persia, and then later the uh, Western Hemisphere, the Aztecs and Mayans with their gardens and uh, the moats, if for lack of a better word, around the growing area, uh, growing, uh, was it the, the Three Sisters or the Three beans corn and uh yeah the three sisters yeah okay yeah that yeah and so um and then i i think the first time i met you i had uh like montreal portland before this pandemic crap devastation uh we had a lot of rooftop gardens and a popular way of doing it not mine but that was uh you know that expression you dance with those that brung you 
So anyway, the idea was hydroponics using worm castings and uh, a very, very few other... Anyway, you get the idea. I'm sure you know about the Montreal projects and what have you. And we had the uh, folks here in Portland, there was a couple companies, and I hope, there's, I hope they were able to uh, work it through, you know, this past 13, 14 months, whatever. And, um, yeah, it was pretty exciting because some of the better restaurants could have their gardens up, maybe not everything, but they could at least have culinary herbs. And the other advantage it brought is that it brought down the heating and cooling cost um, for the building itself. Uh, just the having that agricultural project on the roof was a big money saver. And then later, some high rises in Chicago started. So that's the only background I had was from a, uh, I wouldn't call it academic, but from looking and reading and trying to get a handle on it. So I was excited when I met you and somebody that was in the trenches, you know, actually uh, doing it. And uh, I'm not sure that I'm ever going to have, I just don't have the time. I mean, in terms of years left to really do it any justice. So I, ha I would have to borrow or take from people like you who've already done the, the homework. I had enough trouble doing soil, you know, so I'm not sure the mental challenges of aquaponics is in the cards here. But I hope to make an impact down in Southern Oregon. I'm really excited that uh, this farm is going to take me on as more or less production manager uh, for this summer. And I'll be mixing, I'm not going to mix it, I'm going to have soils mixed to my specifications and materials and sources, so that's exciting. Um, I have some of the best sources on the West Coast for things like worm castings. The reason is that you don't find it in soil, you know, they, they feel they need to make 40-50%. The soil, uh, even uh, so-called uh, uh, boutique soils, you know, there ain't much boutique about it, you know, uh, just to be real blunt. So, um, yeah, uh, when you, if you get down to Southern Oregon later this summer, because I'm going to be doing a lot of drone work for them. We're going to use drones for uh, flyovers to monitor the the crop. And uh, they'll all be, like I said before, 600-gallon pots. So that's, what, three cubic feet. Excuse me, three cubic feet. Three yards. So, uh... It's cool. You said Southern Oregon? I mean, that's where I am. Yeah, you might even know them. Uh, cool Kush Farms. They've been around down there for at least 15, maybe 18 years. They were one of the early, I remember, well, you remember the early days of uh, medical growing mm -hmm. before there was any rec uh, laws. Mm -hmm. So that's how long they've been around. And uh, they're going to allow me to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, do some breeding with uh, my genetics and uh, soil mixing under my name. And I'm going to be able to move large quantities of general amendments like limestone and things like that. And uh, it'll be sold under the name of Coots Newts. So uh, you, get a, you get a friendly guy on the other end of your business transaction. Me, at least I know what you want or 
I'm conversant, let me put it that way, you know. Cool. You want it pelletized, you want it prilled, you want it powdered, you know, I mean, all those, uh, you know, kind of questions. At least I can speak intelligently with a wide uh, spectrum of growing styles and, and agricultural uh, methods and, and processes. So. Very cool. What did you say the name was again? Uh, cool Kush. And mm -hmm. the Cool is spelled with a K. That sounds see if I can look it up. I think they're in Medford. He's got a hundred acres with a uh, nice. It's not a river, but it's not a stream either that runs through that property. So he's got that down. So I was thinking of using water rams to move the water up. You know, that's a non-electric way of moving large volumes of water. Mm -hmm. and uh, use uh, gravity and such so and instead of like the silliness like using blue mats I taught I told him and you want to use dosatrons inline non-electric distribution systems that have been around for 45 50 years uh, they're really big in agriculture and large huge uh, nurseries where that are selling in some cases a quarter million to 400,000 plants a year like the kind you find at Home Depot in the springtime all that uh, the starts uh, arborvitas and you know the stuff mm -hmm. so <laughs> I'm going to try to bring commercial uh, methods and processes as a way of saving money and you can go broke trying to do blue mats I mean give me a break you imagine trying to do 40,000 square feet with blue mats? Yeah. It'd be a lot. Be a mess. A lot of maintenance. A lot of maintenance. And Dosatron, if you look at, and that's just a brand name. There's other brands. I'm not promoting that brand, but that technology. I think Dosatron may have been the first, but I could be wrong on that. Mm -hmm. um, but it, once you look at it, at uh, You'll see it, then you'll be, I'll be able to, they may even have links at Amazon to other products that are similar. You know how they do it down at the bottom of your, of the page that you requested. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you can, uh, like I said, they've been around for decades and, uh, but the main thing is I can grow my own. That's awesome. Yeah. It looks like they're in uh, Grants Pass, which is only like okay 15 minutes from here. So it, it must be in Medford's his house. That's why I said that. So. Yeah. Obviously, I'm wrong, but yeah. So Gold Hill is like halfway between Medford and Grants Pass. So I'm right, okay. Yeah. Either way, so. Yeah, he's on a mountain, and it's really cool. Like I said, it used to be a uh, horse training facility. So there's, uh, what well, I was telling uh, Steve, he's got uh, three or four uh, concrete slabs already there from past uses. Uh, so that's 15,000 square feet for a worm bin operation. Mm -hmm. And by having it off the soil, I can prevent a lot of uh, damage from, uh, well, you know how it is down there. You got moles and voles and gophers and all oh, yeah. kinds of crazy crap, you know. Yeah, we have a whole, we have a whole plethora of things that like to right. hook up your plants, <laughs> for sure. That's exciting, though. Congratulations. Yeah, and they approached me. I was... Uh, all ready to retire. Oh, I am really, basically. And uh, I kept going, no, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. And then they hung the golden carrot. 
so what if we grew plants for you? I went, what? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> uh, and then you could handle the sales on that to the dispensaries because they already have their, you know, you know, it isn't the dispensary business. You grow what sells. And if dispensaries say, we want you to grow ABC, then you grow ABC kind of thing. And this way they grow whatever they need to grow because it's an ongoing business. And uh, as long as I can have my plants, say 20 or 30 of them, wouldn't be too shabby. Yeah, I would think so. Hey, but since you live down there, tell me, I wanted, we had considered moving, my wife and I had considered looking at Gold Beach. Um, what's the other city down there? Uh, Brookings. Mm-hmm. What kind of distance is it from Brookings to say in between Grants Pass and Medford? Um, so here, I'll just tell you real quick. But, um, how far it would be from here, which is, you know, about the same. Sure. Uh, I'm just looking for a ballpark, that's all. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if I was to leave right now and drive to Brookings, it would take me about two, a little over two hours. Okay, that's nothing. I mean, uh, I live uh, 91 miles uh, from my home to Lincoln City, so that's like two hours. Or... There's no traffic down here, so pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, right, I got you, I got you. Cool. Yeah. So you can, you know, it's not, uh, now sometimes the, um, the highway over there, you know, like in the wintertime and stuff, gets slides and you might run into delays. But other than that, you know, traffic will be, it, it's a beautiful drive along Smith River. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, as long as you are fine with the, the mileage. You know, I should come down there with my drones and uh, I'll do a flyover for you on your garden this summer and show you the advantage of having a, a drone. Because you, you get a good one for 500 bucks. Yeah, a, a really one, solid drone. My son got one for Christmas. So oh, cool! Yeah, cool. um, Grandpa got him one, and uh, so we flew it around here, and it was cool because we got um, uh, solar panels put on top of the shop, so it was oh, wow. cool. kind of need to be able to see them. Although you know the shop roof is super high, so it's not like well, you can really tell they're there. But it, with the drone, it was kind of cool to do a flyover and check them out. What's a big brand in the? Uh uh solar panel businesses these days uh you know i honestly don't have any idea we went through the power company you know oh gotcha the, okay the, you know like okay. the um zero down uh, right right no no cost solar and it was kind of a pain to get through the whole process like you know you kept having to you know there's like two or three different companies that had to be coordinated and you know, it took my wife a lot of patience to get them, you know, kind of all scheduled and to show up at the right times. And then, like, right. The coordination, up. you mean? <laughs> yeah, just the coordination yeah. was kind yeah. of a pain. I would say it's the only thing is you, you kind of had to stay on. But um, but in the end, you know, now we're offsetting about 40% of our wow. power bill with solar, including the indoor grow, which is like, you know, probably 4,200 watts or well, maybe a little less now because I replaced a couple lights with LEDs. But um, do you use inverters? 
Uh, so the solar that's here is wired directly into. The oh, okay. Base. Never mind. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So every, all my solar feeds um, feeds the main grid. I don't. I don't technically use the power that I generate. Right. Right. So it's a little weird, but essentially I get credit for the power that I generate. Correct. And I get billed for the power that I use. Right. And the difference between so whatever I save with the solar right now that goes to my solar payment so really it doesn't cost me more monthly whatever mm -hmm. the solar generates and i save on my power bill it just goes to um goes to the are payment. wind turbines uh, viable down in your area probably in certain areas where i'm at right here i'm kind of tucked on the on the hillside i'd probably get a pretty reliable wind but it would never um you know, be like super high winds. Now, if you were on a direct mountaintop, then yeah, there would definitely right. um, do that. So I'm kind of on the mid slope. So I would get some pretty good thermals, you know, move pretty consistent. So every morning and every evening, I would get breezes that go through. But other, so, unless it comes with weather, I don't get a ton of wind. So I need to be wearing bib overalls when I go down there to work with the guys, or can I look like I came from Portland? I'm just kind of curious here. Actually, it's like a uh, cocaine lab, so you got to get down to your yeah. tidy whities and then you uh, work in this. Hope you don't uh, get it. Weed. All depends on your your uh, your heat tolerance, I guess. In the summertime. No, not me. I, I'm a wuss. That's why I moved up here from. Uh, Southern California. I had had enough heat. One yeah. time I lived uh, halfway between LA and Vegas, growing uh, in a outbuilding and near Barstow. I thought I was in purgatory, and I'm not even Catholic. <laughs> so I mean, you know, <laughs> how horrible was that? <laughs> well, my uncle was from. Uh, well, he's not from Nevada, but he was there for a number of years, and he used to live just outside of Reno. Uh huh. Uh, there's a little town outside. Of, well, it's not super little anymore, but it's called Sparks. Oh yeah, I know Sparks. And so, yeah. <laughs> they always used to say that Reno is so close to hell that you can see Sparks. That was kind of the. I had a friend that got transferred down there many decades ago, and uh, he started calling it Drano. He said, "I God, this is the worst fucking city I've ever <laughs> lived in my life." Oh, this is gambling. You know, there's like no culture. This was like, you know, 50 years ago. So I'm sure things have changed. But I don't know, man. I lived out by Boulevard for a minute out by El Centro. Well, between Alpine and El Centro. Oh, God. Uh, the, now, the, Alpine is nice. My goodness. And that's like the, one of the epicenters of organic uh, far, farming is that Alpine, that district around there. I'll tell you what. When you go when you go east of Alpine, the meth, the number of Mexican Americans uh, definitely goes up significantly. Oh yeah. What's that horrible city at the bottom of Salton Sea? Starts with the B. Uh, well, there's there's a uh, uh, El Centro, and then there's Slab. Yeah, it's no, it's a little bit. Uh, it's a nothing town, but. Uh, What happened to the Salton Sea? First of all, well, you know the story about it. So there's man, there's a, a human hubris at work. A hundred year history of disaster right there at that thing. And now it's, it's biologically dead and it just smells like 
It's really horrible. God almighty. Bombay Beach. Whoa. That's it. Bombay Beach. Took me a minute. Yeah. yeah. I used to, I used to, yeah, I used to live kind of between Boulevard and Acatillo. Mm-hmm. Acatillo is like one of the most geologically active places on the planet. So we had earthquakes almost once a week there, and then enough to like make you run outside the house at least once every three months. Yeah, you wonder if that aquifer being drained, like it has been, if that hasn't had an effect on the, you know, overall. Uh, well, I think the earthquakes probably helped attribute to that. Yep. You know? Yep. But, you know, and it's something we looked at. I looked at a couple of projects out in Palm Springs and in that valley, and we looked at doing deep geothermals because you have that deep sand sure. there in that valley. So you can actually, you know, it does support geothermal better than a lot of the places because it's mostly just deep sand. You know, so construction costs are pennies compared to <laughs> plastic rock. There's a number of <laughs> geothermal power plants in Nevada already because it's so efficient for that. <coughs> Especially on some of the places in the desert. Um, like, uh, <clears throat> I want to say, what is it, like Empire, Nevada, something like that, um, has a geothermal plant that uh, runs a number of commercial farms out there because they couldn't you know, generate enough power through the or get access to enough power through the grid uh where they're at so it made more sense for the company to put in uh you know not a huge but relatively large uh geothermal power plant and use that to run power so it, it can be really efficient out there Oh, it's, it's super cool, man. So, Coot, are you going to be growing mostly just your stuff that you've been uh, going over the years, or do you have any lines that you want to, like, break out? And, like, now that you have access to some minions, you have some lines that you're wanting to, like, finally uh, see what they do, or what's your kind of game plan on the genetic thing? Looks like you're muted there, Coot. Uh, okay, my my goal is I want to create some TO seeds, but I don't want to do anything with chemistry uh, to create a female. So I have a friend. He goes back to 1975 also. He was growing in Hawaii. And in fact, I have some uh, Polaroids. Because you didn't send your film in the goddamn... Uh, drugstore to get your Nikon pictures of you standing out in a weed field, you know what I mean? And uh, not not 45 years ago. But anyway, he's got uh, seeds that he worked with there, and he's renewed them every so often uh, since then. And he, because that was a big word then, he calls it the Pacalolo. And he had done some Pacalolo T.O. crosses a couple of years ago and grew a couple of plants for me. And I was really impressed. And um, I think I could do better only for this reason is that I'm more VC oriented, uh, vermicompost oriented than most people are. 
and I take my uh, VC really seriously and create a 9.8 at least on a scale from 1 to 10. So, um, no, I really, uh, but that would be the only thing and maybe get that into some dispensaries, not under, or not with me because I can't, I'm not licensed, but to help the guys out, uh, to give them uh, another product to offer, you know, dispensaries that they haven't seen and uh, not trying to be an egotist, but I think the uh, silly uh, Krakamus Coot name has some uh, coin and could open some doors, maybe. But at least, uh, and then the other revenue streams to sell soil uh, for me medium growers and things like that, I think, and then be able to have the bulk stuff for people like Marty that needs, you know, because you guys have to get certain things, you know, whatever, limestone or basalt or whatever, and I've got the connections and, uh, you know, to get it at a fair price and get it down to Southern Oregon. Uh, like, for example, Concentrate's the big organic farm supply in the Northwest. Hell, I've been doing business with them since... I don't know, 98, 97, long time, you know. Uh, so I think that would be, because uh, they're getting kind of stabbed down there. I mean, to be real blunt. Uh, yeah, blunt. I mean, basically, unless you're going to, um, you know, unless you have a shop that you work with consistently that'll give you a pretty good discount, it's pretty pretty much consistently higher than if you just order it in yourself, even not in bulk. So if you order it in bulk, you know, I'm sure that you would be getting a better Yeah, deal. and even if I couldn't help them on something, I mean, I know of places uh, up and down the I-5 corridor that are uh, uh, centered around the nursery trade. So getting a two-yard tote of, you know, pumice is a nothing, or two-yard tote of uh, limestone. See what I mean? So you're not paying for that. That packaging costs money. Let me give you a number. This will blow your mind. Let's say you go into, I know you don't because you're a professional, but let's say a person goes into a, a grocery store and wants to uh, get a, a bag of soil. Or, all right. Uh, doesn't matter the brand name. And let's say they pay $15 for that bag for sake of discussion. One third of that cost, one third, was for bagging. It cost a lot of friggin' money to get something in a bag. You can figure three, four and a quarter to five dollars a bag, depending on the size of your run. Now let's do some arithmetic here. So you paid fifteen dollars, right? So we can take five dollars right off the top for just the bagging, and now we're down to ten dollars, and we got the store that needs a profit the the uh, uh, wholesale distribution it used to be sunlight supply right and then the company that bagged it so you see how little money there is in soil by the time everybody takes a, after the five dollar for the uh, bagging charges as taken off the top you're talking about pennies pennies where's the money the newts the stuff to fix the stuff that didn't get in the bag. See what I mean? <laughs> that's where the money's at. Right. And that's nothing new. Miracle Grow started that shit, you know, 60 years ago. 
Oh, yeah, most of years these ago. products on the shelf have 2 to $4 worth of actual nutrients in them. I'm sorry? So most of the stuff that's on the shelf has 2 to $4 or less of nutrients in them. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. water, branding, and bottle. Absolutely. Now, here's the, uh, let's take, this is a good example, not for Steve. Well, you you ponics, but let's go to soil and forget whether it's organic or not just for a minute. A lot of people are going to add limestone to their soil or some kind of limine agent, we'll say. Well, you'd be surprised how many options there are. You'd be even more surprised if you learned how many different countries it might come from. Iraq, China, uh, Iran. Gee, do you think there might be some differences with regard to radium and other uh, uh, issues? Or you can also get the stuff that's harvested right here in Oregon in the Columbia River Valley. So which one would you want to do? And I can get I could get it for you in a prilled form, which means you can shoot it from one of the guns, uh, uh, fertilizer guns. Uh, you don't have any dust issues. Uh, so if you're concerned about your uh, employees and, and the worker bees that are having to deal with it. So, I mean, there's more options than just getting a bag of limestone over at Home Depot. That's all I'm saying. And if I can and, uh, do that and help people be healthier or less exposed to uh, issues on even just that, it adds up. You know, it begins to add up uh, across the board. Especially, so So when it comes to heavy metals, in fact, I just had a, a client of mine that I just started working with. Um, but the reason why we started working together in is because they took the advice of another aquaponic producer and dosed, a, in my opinion, a ludicrous amount of kelp and failed for heavy metal testing for arsenic. So, you know, it's why you, you got to be careful on where you're actually sourcing the stuff from. Correct. Uh, you know, you, and if people want to, they're more than welcome to go to apmjnudes.com. You can get my stuff from there. Uh, we do all the homework and make sure everything is low heavy metal and, and, and not going to bioaccumulate stuff over time. Um, the rest, if you want to go a different route, though, so so this was this was going to be my question. So, Coop, how would somebody that's maybe just trying to go, you know, a, a lot of people, and, and this is something that maybe the experts have kind of jumped the, the crevasse on, um, but uh, how, what do you recommend for people that want to learn how to uh, better understand how to dose things on their own versus buying bottled newts? Because um, that certainly is something that definitely has a bit of a learning curve. But what would you recommend for people to to better understand how to you know jump that divide? Well, you're going to get tired of this from me, but uh, here goes. I firmly believe, and if I never sold it that would be okay. But I firmly believe that the golden road, like the old uh, Grateful Dead song, the golden road to unlimited devotion is worm castings. I have never once recommended worm castings to anybody online, and we're going back 12 years, who came back and said, that was the worst goddamn garden I've ever had. All I heard was, I can't believe it. This is fucking amazing. And it isn't just cannabis. You want good tomatoes? Worm castings. You want good, well, I don't think there is anything as good broccoli, but 
okay anyway uh but yeah our, our culinary herbs or whatever i believe sincerely that the cannabis sector i wouldn't call it an industry yet but going back to 1980 when the first grow books were being peddled they were horribly written inaccurate and so what the new gardener is up against is this mountain mountain of craziness so here's my advice you want good soil you go to Home Depot and you get a bale of sphagnum peat moss. Chump change. Six cubic feet for under $20. Give me a break. Now you need an aeration amendment. Right? Okay. If you don't live near volcanoes, pumice is going to be a real bitch. I get it. Okay, there's an organization called, don't laugh, it's, there actually is one. The Perlite Institute. And it has all the perlite companies having nothing to do with, with agriculture or horticulture. They use it in, uh, my understanding, uh, something to do with concrete, like the tilt-up buildings, the concrete uh, wall, you know, like a Costco building type thing. Anyway, that's where it's used. So go to uh, Perlite Institute, find a perlite manufacturer in your area or worst case scenario you can use i don't know about where everybody but at least here in oregon i can find it almost always at a home depot out in the garden section and here's one other thing all the major stores walmart all of them you know uh even ace hardware you can buy it at their website pay for it and then designate what store you want it shipped to it's free not not the product but the shipping and handling is free so how cool is that let's say you live in a more rural area and you can't get peat moss you can order it through ace hardware and have it dropped off at the next city or wherever there's an ace hardware i'm just saying there's some options rather than getting stabbed by these online cretins that are just making I mean, they're just raping these people. It's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, and I don't even need to get into names. Just you know, suffice it to say that I know what soil costs. I real, believe me. I taught them. Okay, I'll leave it at that. So, and and be, kind of like become a, a Zen thinker on this minimalism <clears throat> you don't need green sand probably the dumbest Hello. amendment it takes nine years to break down so i call it the world's most expensive aeration material uh and it, it, new jersey quit pulling it it still call it to this day uh New Jersey green sand. New Jersey hasn't pulled any green sand out of that goddamn deposit since uh, before the 20th century, sometime in the late 1890s, because they found dinosaur bones. So then it became an archaeological site. See what I mean? So forget green sand. You don't need... If you get good castings, that's all you need. You can fine-tune it later. 
talk to people like you and others that know what the hell they're talking about. And, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, well, fine tune it. I do like green sand for bonsai trees. It's the one thing I, I like because right. you do in the bonsai dish for long, ultra slow, long-term release. It's great. But anything other than that, I completely agree with you. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I know you're going to get tired of hearing this, but I really honestly believe this. And this is my operating philosophy. Get over yourself. It's just a plant. I mean, I don't care what names attached to it or what super story about where it came from, you know, and all that malarkey, who bred it, who didn't, you know, whatever. It's just a plant. Get over yourself. You don't, nobody obsesses over tomato plants. Nobody obsesses over strawberry plants, but God in the world of cannabis, you'd think that, you know, this or that strain is going to be like complete enlightenment. Like he spent, you know, 11 years in samsara, you know, studying the ancient writings of the Roshis, you know, the 900 BC or something. Give me a I think, break. <laughs> I think you need to go to more country fairs. Some of them, Old, yes. old farmers definitely feel that way about their tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, you know, you're, you're a traveled person. I'm not as traveled, but, you know, I, I did leave home and uh, got my ass to Europe and, you know, and stuff. And uh, I have more of a world view of things. Like I tell people, man, most of the world is trying to find enough wood so they can cook their dinner for Christ's sake. And you're, you're worried because you, you had to use micronized instead of prilled lime. Really? That's, that's, that's your big issue today. Fuck. Oh Get yeah. A life, man. The other thing too is, is that I've noticed. So a lot of stuff that's like considered kind of uh, stigmatized in, in Western culture is not there. So like mushrooms, for example, like, people are taught that like mushrooms can be a huge poison in, in the States and stuff, stuff like that. In Africa, they, it, it's pretty much, you know, pretty well known which ones are safe to eat and which ones aren't safe to eat, but they're right. not like afraid of them. You know, it's not like this cultural <coughs> fear that's taught, you know what I mean? I've never understood. And it's actually a, a diagnosis, mycophobia. I do not understand it. You know, in the world, okay, okay, let's talk mushrooms for a little bit, just for a minute. I won't bore you too much. In my lifetime, I was on the tail end in my youth of being taught, of, of students being taught that fungi was a division of the plant kingdom. Okay, so it hasn't, the, the facts haven't, didn't really come about that long ago. And that there's more uh, species or varieties, whatever term, I'm supposed to use here than all the members of the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom. That's amazing. Then, then both of those combined. And yet the number of poisonous fungi is minuscule. It's like, what, a hundred? I mean, that's it. Yes. And I always tell somebody says, well, can you eat these? You can eat all of them. You may not be live long enough to eat them again, uh, but uh, yeah, go ahead, you know, whatever. But um, as you know, 
from reading and maybe history or what, if not, I'll share a couple stories with you. When the uh, thing in San Francisco, the summer of 67, that was the beginning of, you know, this uh, youth or whatever we were supposed to be, youth uh, culture, right? And so when the Haight-Ashbury thing came apart, a lot of people came to Oregon. And there were a lot of communes in Southern Oregon. And there's a lot of animals, deer, elk, you get the, you know, uh, large mammals, herbivores. There's a lot of manure. Hey, these mushrooms are really good. You know, so uh, collecting uh, magic mushrooms became kind of a rite of passage. If you move to Oregon, you get one of the older heads that had been around, you know, for a couple of years to take you out and say, these are the good ones. And, you know, you don't want to do these. So the whole culture, uh, the ideals of Haight-Ashbury came to fruition in many ways in places like New Mexico, Taos, um, Southern Oregon, and, uh, you know, you get the idea. So I never, I never had that phobia. I mean, I knew that I didn't know what I was doing, so I shouldn't go out foraging. I knew that much. Okay. That didn't take a lot of thought, <laughs> but, um, once I did start to learn, and then especially when I started growing my, and that's really fun. I mean, growing your own mushrooms is a kick because there's such a variety you can buy of the spores from Mushroom John Allen, the famous collector that traveled, what, four continents. And uh, almost all those are available legally unless you live in three, one of three states, uh, Utah, Georgia, and California. But yeah, I get them online. In fact, my understanding is some parts of Western Europe, you can buy the damn things on Amazon in those countries where it's legal, obviously. So, um, yeah, here's the law. You can own spores. You can sell spores. You can buy spores. But you're just not supposed to do anything with them, I guess. I don't know. The mushroom part, they're not legal. If you actually... Uh, you know, uh, a, tri a trip to light fantastic as the expression goes. So, but it's fun, a lot of fun. And you get a, a massive amount. And uh, like in a, just a standard, you know, Rubbermaid type, you, you might have to store stuff, you know? Like say, I don't know. Let's see, let me do my arithmetic real quick. Five, ten, fifteen. Like say fifteen, twenty gallon, you know, that size. You can easily pull a pound. Now that's wet, you know, but still. Uh try getting a pound of weed out of I don't care how you're doing it, out of a you know, a twenty gallon tub. Best wishes. <laughs> it has to be one hell of a hydroponic system, I'll tell you that. And then there's never, you never have problems. I mean, I don't sell them, but I know people, their sons and kids do. And I always say, they got how much? And they, they're gone in like a day or two. It's like the old days with weed, you know, like, I mean, the really old days. You didn't have any problems getting rid of weed. Even though it was shitty, you got, you know, it, that, you know, you got rid of it. So, uh. Yeah, the mushroom things like that now. You got shrooms, really? To take, uh, we used to take our our weed brownies, 
allegedly in the story I was writing, uh, we would take our weed brownies and we would take the psilocybin, cook it, we double, well, we, anyways, we would uh, concentrate it into, in, a, in a way to uh, bind it into a bunch of frosting and put it on top of brownies and we called them galaxy brownies. Yep. And we'd always put sprinkles on them that had like the planets and stuff like that so we could tell them apart and then the regular ones had regular sprinkles on them when they're in the fridge and uh, that was one of our favorite things to make and oh man did they ever uh, become quite popular in the story i was writing you know i was really uh i wouldn't call it reluctant i the better word or more accurate would be Um, skeptical, how's that, <clears throat> on the whole microdosing thing. And uh, there came a time when Paul Stamets was going to appear here in Portland uh, as a fundraiser for the group that was put, uh, putting the uh, psilocybin ballot initiative, initiative up. And so this was uh, a way to raise money, and Paul came down and talked for about two hours and it was really amazing because he usually doesn't do those kind of venues but this he felt really strong and that make it even more kind of moving and grooving to a moon age child many of the uh, remaining members of the merry pranksters uh excuse me a second no worries uh many of the uh, like mountain girl uh jerry garcia's uh, wife at one point, and the other, the, you know, the uh, the members, the remaining members of the Kesey family, and what have you. So he gave this long talk about why, about how microdosing could change the kind of changes that could bring about um, substantial changes in one's life with microdosing psychedelics. So. I said, hmm, all right. So I tried it, and that was two and a half years ago. And the changes <clears throat> for me on a personal level were nothing short of profound. I've never had a, because it, it's not a drug experience at all. It's, that's, hard, that's the hard point to try to describe. I mean, uh, it isn't a drug experience at all. It's a change of clear. It's a change to clarity. How's that? Somebody asked me, or people ask me a lot. So what's, what? What was the main thing you noticed? And I said clarity. That kind of like spiritual Zen clarity. You know the zazen, face the wall. You know. So that's Z A Z E N. If anybody wants to look it up, so. I don't recommend drugs or alcohol to anybody. You know, you got to do whatever you're going to do. But I would, I will recommend and strongly encourage everybody, uh, unless there's obviously mental health issues like you know schizophrenia, what have you. But if you're looking for clarity in your life and a way of, uh, there you go, Zazen man, and see that circle? That's called Enzo, and it's done with one stroke. So it's the beginning and the end of, of the life. Does that make sense?
but it's spelled E-N-Z-O sometimes or E-N-S-O, Enzo. That was one of the names I gave one of my strains, so. There it is right there, man. And, and also, usually it's done facing the wall. Uh, so you, all you see is immediately what's in front of you and not be concerned about the peripheral edges. Didn't think you'd talk about Buddhism, did you? <laughs> anyway. Interesting. Uh, what uh? So we were talking before the other day about terps and, and how they're formed. I think that that's really one of the things that people kind of uh, chase and chase and chase and don't quite understand when it comes to, uh, especially organic production. You know, they they hear something or they read something or they, uh, you know, are sold something or or whatever about terpene production and, and what it comes down to is is just stimulating the genes that are responsible for for you know producing those terpenes which again are, are always you know in response to the environment you know be it a uv temperature you know insects molds uh herbivory whatever you know you're muted there. i'm sorry i find it offensive that people go on um, these venues, you know, these trade show type bullshit, and they they get a couple buzzwords, okay? They grab them out of something they read, or you know, uh, oh, this, oh, look, 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 here's one. We can talk about this terpene. And then you ask it, do you even know what it is? Do you? Do you know what, what function, why the planet's creating this uh, secondary metabolite? No, no, it's a terpene. Yeah, I know. All terpenes are secondary metabolites, but not all metabolites are terpenes. Jesus Christ, man. Sometimes I think I'm, you know, talking to my dog. Come here, Agnes. Let's talk about terpenes. Um, and so they go on these venues and they just spew this insanity, just lunacy. My favorite one is this started about four, maybe five years ago. Somehow the goddamn term of micronized got turned into something. It just means it was milled finer. If you have crap like azomite and you micronize it, it's just micronized crap. Or nanoproof. The next huh? person that tells me that they have nano emulsification or nanoparticles in their edibles, yeah. Yeah. I would bitch slap them on the yeah. spot. I know. Okay, well, my favorite is, and really, it doesn't matter to me if people use it, don't use it. I'm not invested in anything to do with the neem industry in India, okay, on any friggin' level. But if you're going to badmouth something, at least have, hmm, the testicular appendage to find out at least one name of one fucking compound, just one. I won't even bug you whether it's a pesticide or a fungicide or a nitrification agent. Just name one for me. Oh, besides as a directin. Okay. So, 
Well, let me ask you the the the, the uh, controversial question about neem. Uh -huh. What is your opinion on neem and hype, um, hypermesis syndrome, and the fact that their symptoms overlap so heavily? I say that people should quit confusing badly made extracts in India with uh, solvents with a material that's pressed out of a seed. That's what I would say, just for starters. The thing, the whole thing started with Azimax and Azitrol. One was GH hydroponics and the other one was that uh, crook uh, up in uh, BC. Is this the other, I think it was the third one at that time too. Azagard's another one of those old ones. Well, okay, the word AZA, A-Z-A, internationally refers to AZA direct and extracts. Okay, because I know of a company, AZAPURE, as at all. I mean, a lot of them start with AZA because they're appealing, because that word is understood Europe, Africa, you know, whatever. It's, 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 that's the term. Okay, so... When you look at oil, it's omega-3, 6, and 9, and a couple of, uh, the same ones found in food, okay, flaxseed. If, if, if these oils are poisonous, then I would suggest don't ever eat a flaxseed. Don't ever eat nuts. I mean, you get the idea, right? Don't eat eggs. It's got omega. Ooh, watch out. <clears throat> um... So let's look at the compounds. There's 360. About 22 of those compounds are relative to controlling or, uh, what do you call it? Eradication of insects. And the other remaining are fungicides. And then there's also some virus, antiviral, whatever the right term. I'm not a, I'm not a bio, uh, I'm not a medical biologist, so bear with me a little bit. But you get the idea. So you have you have uh, antibacterial, you have uh, uh, fungicide uh, compounds, and you have uh, pesticide compounds, and you also have uh, the antiviral. All right. So what are these? Well, these are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Again, we have to go back to what they're using. They're using AZA products, which are extracts made with solvents. And I will tell you that in India, that is the end of the line. It kind of like, all right, in America, let's take the tree industry. How's that? The, the timber industry. The, the timber's cut. The timber goes to a mill where the timber is turned into lumber. Uh, products are made from the bark, you have sawdust, you know, and at some point you're at the end of the line. This is it. Okay, you can't do anything with it. Oh, but wait, we can. We can pull the lignin out and we can sell it legally under USDA rules as fiber to the food manufacturing industry. So the next time you see fiber added, remember you're eating the very remnants of timber from the Pacific Northwest, for the most part. Feel better now? Good eats, huh? That's, don't want to eat any gluten. No, no, that's a protein. I want to eat some ground-up tree. Okay. Um, the, 
this so anyway i got tired of it i went to the man he was still alive at that point who studied neem trees in asia and uh, africa for 36 years he started out as a phd i mean he didn't start out that way but when he began his research he was a phd from university of cologne in germany which I think is one of the oldest universities in the world. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I know it's really, it goes back to the 13th century. He studied these, these plants in, like I said, Africa and Asia, et cetera, et cetera, and wrote a book. It was almost 972 pages, I think, with the index. I've got a, a, a PDF copy if you want it. It, it was published in 1993. Um, I, I, it's just, it's so frustrating because if this were this issue, we should have dead Indians everywhere. Okay. Think about this. In the China, we have TCM. Okay. And in India, we have Ayurvedic. Then there's pre-Ayurvedic, and then there's one, there's a, I can't remember the name, but it covers parts of India and China. But anyway, these uh, original medical systems. And Ayurvedic is practiced today by a wide number of Hindus and some Buddhists. And they have preparations that you can buy. You know, like any other, you got to get the money coming in. 72% of all the Ayurvedic preparations contain some part of the neem tree. The roots, the bark, the leaves, the uh, the meal, which is the leftover. We call it meal. The rest of the world calls that cake. When you take a seed, press the oil out, it's called cake. I don't know why it's called meal here, but it is. But that's that's if you see cake, that's all it means is meal. We should have dead Indians everywhere. I mean, we should be having UNN there setting up hospitals to treat how many was there a billion something people in India? Should we have at least a million that are on the, the, the death's doorstep because of neem? It's just, it's one of those, it's a typical stoner science. I found a fact. I didn't, I didn't find all of them. I found this little fact here and now I'm going to turn it into this campaign of insanity. I should be dead. I've been using neem Twenty-two. How's that? Now here's a funny part. Are are you familiar with any of the ten? And I don't mean this to be challenging, but any of the tenets of uh, biodynamics that the rules of, in say this area of the world, may be different from over here because they have different materials. That's all I'm asking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That okay. was part of the business model we were working on in Africa was we were going to take the stocks and the byproducts from the cannabis stuff and use it to make boards for housing and low-cost housing. And yeah, I'm fully familiar with all that stuff. Okay, good. So do me a favor to verify this just for your own edification, all right? Demeter, the, the controlling body of the worldwide... Uh, biodynamic organizations 
many countries have uh, Demeter USA. Well, not but they have Demeter and then the name of the country. So Demeter USA is based right here in Oregon. And then there's a Demeter Oregon group. Demeter Hawaii. India has the largest Demeter organization of farmers of any country in the world, not only in terms of numbers, but in terms of as a percentage of the total, the, the, you know what I'm saying? It has a higher percentage of biodynamic farmers in, in their culture than certainly we do in the United States or even Germany, whatever. If you went to their website, uh, Demeter India, and just typed in neem, you'd be thinking, how come these people aren't dead? A typical way of using it is to mix the neem meal, the cake, with uh, water buffalo manure, not unlike the uh, one straw revolution, the seed bombs. Well, these are neem bombs. And they let them dry, then when it comes time to plant the fields, they load them up in the back of the truck and the uh, folks stand on top there and start tossing them out like baseballs. We I should have dead Indians everywhere. I mean, it should be a worldwide problem. Maybe even come up with a vaccine. So as far as manure goes, so um, in order to make sure that you have a healthy baby, and this is going to sound completely insane to people that don't understand this, but if you think about it evolutionarily, this makes a lot of sense. Um, in Africa, this is, a, and this is throughout Southern Africa, not this, not just uh, South Africa or Zimbabwe or any of this throughout, pretty culturally universal. Um, out in the bush and, and in more remote areas, they'll actually take elephant dung and they'll encapsulate it and take it if when women find out that they're pregnant in order to make sure they have all the right digestive microbes um, because elephants are will also do a, eat a certain amount of meat. Um, but whatever it is, it helps prevent birth defects. They found that the microbes, you know, historically from the elephant dung help prevent birth defects in children. Uh, and, and then they kind of take it as a, tra a traditional medicine, but there's actually quite a bit of science. I thought it was kind of crazy when someone told me that when I was out there, but I actually read up on it and there actually is a bit of science to it. So, you know, it, it, it just another one of those things where, you know, the, the right type of microbes. Now, I'm not advocating anyone does that, but I'm just saying that, you know, uh, inoculating the right microbes at the right time of, of a life cycle, even in humans can make a huge benefit uh, towards the next generation. Yeah, I, you know, it's really sad. Let me give you the, my reasons for using neem. Okay, so this one material correctly applied, and no, I don't spray it in flour because I did my business in veg, and I understand something called life cycles and how often to spray. You know, I know I know what eradication means. It doesn't do it one time. They go, well, that stuff didn't work. What should I do now? Well, here's an idea, cupcake. Get a can of lighter fluid, spray it on your plant, and then take some kitchen matches and just light it. But anyway, so here's the reason, or, or the reason I use neem. The first one is pesticide properties. Second one is effective, completely effective uh, defense against powdery mildew and related issues. Fungus gnats. I don't have shit hopping, flying around my face when I get near my plants, okay? 
I'm not sitting there, you know, doing this like I'm living in Alaska, you know, in June when the mosquitoes come out. And the big one is nitrification. Holding nitrogen in the soil. That's a pretty cool idea since nitrogen vaporizes and goes, you know, bye-bye. And also, not only does it suppress pathogenic fungi, it enhances the growth of the so-called good fungi. It is not uncommon in India and China to add neem to the substrate for growing oyster mushrooms. If this was such a, a broad-spectrum fungicide, that would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? Yeah. You're, you're certainly educating me because you've, uh, again, I've, I've certainly repeated some of these myths before, and I'm, I'm happy to admit that. Well, I, that's, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll get a hold of you uh, through your uh, email, like you contacted me, and then I'll make arrangements to get a copy of this book. I mean, look, you've read a lot of high scientific data, and so I know, and you're going to be impressed. This is not neem for dummies. You know, people I've given it to, is, you've actually read this? Yeah, five times from cover to cover. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of the people that are having issues are A, people that are doing high amounts of concentrates, and then B, I think that they're at least for a while, maybe not so much currently, but certainly in the, some of the early days, a lot of people that were using neem very liberally, and I could very much see that oil being hyper uh, concentrated in some of the trichome heads. Now, if you were separating those and making them into an extract, I could totally see having, you know, well beyond what would normally be consumed in a reasonable level. Um, uh, okay, here's the funny part. If you're saying that people, like I'm reading in chat, people are saying people use it as toothpaste, people eat it as a medicine. So Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. If you if went to an Indian market, uh, and we have a lot here because of uh, Nike and uh, uh, Intel, there's a lot of Pakistani and... Uh, Hindu, uh, Hindu. Well, they are Hindu, but a lot of Indian uh, engineers and what in their families. And when you go to the Haba section and grocery store lingo, that means health and beauty aids. That's where they make their money. That's why they category because you make more money out of selling toothpaste than you do plums. Trust me. So every shampoo almost will be have neem in it. The benefits of oral health, especially gum health, from using neem toothpaste can't be overstated. But lotions for your skin, um, sunburn, I mean, this is a plant that medically has been used for over 5,000 years. Um, and, and I find on a personal level, because I have a soft spot, a soft spot in my heart for Indian culture, um, belief systems and what have you. I find it a bit racist. I really do. Because if you're going to badmouth, not you, but I'm, I'm the collective you. If, if a person's going to badmouth something, at least show the integrity on some level to find out about it. Let me give you an example. Okay, the big one that everyone talks about is azadiractin. Why is that? Well, because it's the compound that's produced in the largest amount, so making it the easiest to isolate, right, for an extract. But 
Take Nimbin, for example. That prohibits reproduction. Pretty good idea, wouldn't you say? There's other compounds that prevent the food from being able to be digested. They vomit it up, so they starve to death. So yes, when you apply neem the next day, you probably will see some stragglers. But try in the afternoon. Try the next day, and on the third day, this, like I have repeated, I hope you don't get bored from it, you got to repeat it every, uh, mites, that's, I, I can't speak to aphids and others, but mites, their reproductive cycle is 72 hours. So you need to spray every 72 hours, and the pros say you need to do three applications. I err on the side of wishful thinking, I do four. I do four applications, 72 hours apart. And guess what? I don't have problems. The root gnats and the fungus gnats and that, all that. When I first got on weed boards, I had to look that crap. I didn't know what they were talking about. Honestly, I swear to God. What's a root gnat? What's a fungus gnat? Jesus Christ, man, what are you guys talking about? Let me guess, you're using a commercial soil, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I use, you know, fill in the blank. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. Let me tell you something about potting soils. When they uh, bring in the, the peat moss, okay, the, the tops is sphagnum, all right, and that's cut when it's frozen. So it's minimally processed. It's cut, wrapped in plastic, and loaded on trucks and moved south. Well, what happens to the peat, the rest of it? Oh, well, we got to put it in a, a layer, an oven, and they cook it at, uh, to get rid of the water because water weighs a lot, right? So if you can move it south into the, uh, the packing plants in the lower 48, you get a better uh, load factor, right? Easy enough to understand. So now they also do it to sterilize the soil. So how much hope do you think you have that if you're gonna do organics that there's much chance you're gonna do, you might as well just use core, right? I mean, there's, not, there's no there there. The there there is in the sphagnum and in the bale sitting at Home Depot for $19 that, uh, that uh, is a 3.8 and by the time you bust it out, it's six and a half or seven cubic feet. No, no, I want, it, I want it ready to go. Okay, so the peat moss arrives at the mixing plants and it goes into these uh, cone bottom tanks as they're called and that's, they hold the materials for the uh, soil and the packing plant has all, everything key, you know, keyed into the uh, panel and we're mixing uh, miracle Grow right now. So boom, you hit the button and these cone bottom tanks each drop the specified amount of whatever is in that mix. It's always peat, right? And it gets, you ready for this? The entire mixing process takes eight minutes. Eight. And then it's an auger screw type system, right? And then it's moved into another machine that bags it. So tell me, how much chance do you think there is that there's much left in that soil by the time it goes to a warehouse, goes to a, a nursery and sits in the sun for two weeks before you get it, right? <laughs> in plastic, 
and now you drag it home and say, hey, I'm going to grow Dane. Uh, I don't think you are, but, you know, best wishes. There's your soil industry. So, so I guess on that note, what is your opinion on compost teas? Because a lot of people use those cone bottoms for those. Well, here's what I find ironic, if not funny. I was railing against compost teas 14, 15 years ago for one reason. The first reason was this. Since there's no standards or either legally or... Uh, from any agency at any level, state, federal, or local, on compost. There is no legal definition. You could put anything in a goddamn bag and call it compost, and you there would be nothing that your competitors could do about it. And the same is true of worm castings. Oh, okay. So, how can you make a tea... When the the the, uh, the quality is an unknown. Okay, that was my first thing. The other thing was is <clears throat> you you're a scientist. You know what a true plate count is. I know what a true plate count is, and it isn't smearing something on a slide and sticking some liquid on a slide and, and sticking it under a microscope and go, I did a plate count. No, you didn't. A plate count requires a Petri dish, agate, right? You inoculate it. You grow it out. Oh, we're going to see, we're going we're gonna to do this plate count and the whole thing's going to be, oh, Tim's place, microbe organics. I know, I know Tim, yeah. He's the one that, uh, he was partnered up with uh, Tad Hussey on some level, so... Anyway, bottom line is I don't think much. Uh, I was just going to say he was one of the first people before I had ever heard of Elaine Ingham way, way, way back in the day. This right. was one of the only reference um, websites out there for uh, a lot of this type of stuff. Well, that, that uh, uh, website I gave you the other night, I got that from Tim. The Lukey, uh, and the family in Austria, L-E-U-B-K-E, Lukey... Uh, uh, microbial control compost. There you go. You'll find this every organic hopeful. Uh, let's see. Wait a minute. Uh, huh. Should read that article written by Steve Diver. D-I-V-E-R. Steve used to work for an agency called Atra, and I don't remember what it stood for, but what it did was it was part of the USDA that was to help farmers move from transitional, excuse me, from a conventional through transitional and this then to final uh, certification. This is, it might be not be right. This is in the 80s. Yeah, Lubke. Yeah, Lubke and, yeah, this is right. Yeah, they came to America uh, as guests of Acres USA magazine and traveled the country giving lectures on how to create, I mean, real compost. Most people are going to read how, their method and go, I don't want to do that. But this is like the purest. And much of uh, Ingham's work was based on the Lukey. They were, they were uh, what's the name? 
they had a direct link, the family, back to Rudolf Steiner. Now, they were in Austria, and Steiner was a German uh, philosopher. It was, I don't know if you knew this or not, but he wasn't an agronomist. He never grew a plant in his life. He was a philosopher. He's a member of the Theosophy Society. As a matter of fact, he headed up the Germany a Theosophy Society for over 20 years. So that gives you an idea of that, of that background. And then from that was born Demeter. And circa 1927 or so, they were the first organization to set up a true, somewhat true, uh, certification of organics under their definition of that. But the main thing that they did, in my opinion, is composting as we understand it today and practice it, you know, carbon, nitrogen, doing the layer thingy. That was born out of that. So composting as we understand it today is less than 100 years old. I find that pretty remarkable. And there's been a lot of advances on how to make it better or improve the, 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 out, the final uh, result. Well, so I, I, my grandparents grew up during the Depression in Indiana, and, and I know a lot of the different methods that I think people currently talk to me about in terms of quote unquote, or, you know, regenerative farming. Like we were taking the newest willow tips in order to make cloning gel for the grapevines so we could take the new tips from the grapevines and root them faster so that we could improve the fence, right? Like the, that was something I was doing when I was six years old, right? Like like these are these are stuff that goes back, you know, the 17, 1800s, early 1900s in the United States just didn't, you know, kind of died off when World War One and World War II happened because of the advent of, you know, synthetic fertilizers. Yes, that came about at the end of World War II. And one of the things that factories made for the war effort, as it was called, was ammonium nitrate. It made great bombs. And somehow, through an act of Congress, it became great fertilizer circa 1947. And the race was on. Now we add phosphoric acid, which is one of the cheapest. You know, they used to clean engine parts, for Christ's sake. I do not understand why people obsess about using phosphoric acid. It boggles my mind. Here's, here, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, never mind. I was heating a dab, but I was just going to say we use phosphoric acid a little bit in, in aquaponics just because sometimes I need to lower the, the pH and also increase my phosphorus. So if I need to achieve both of those effects, it, it's kind of a good additive. But I think I, you know, in soil, I, I definitely would agree with you completely. So, so that's a great question and, and one that often comes up. What would Clackamas Coot recommend for lowering your soil pH in, say, a, a pot maybe that was someone added too much calcium or, or some other, you know, thing to overshoot it. Well, because I, I practice, I live what I practice, I practice what I, I say, I practice minimalism. I mean, my, let me just run it by so you'll see. I put all my effort into worm castings. It takes about two years to go from manure to compost and all the cycles of compost. And then finally in a worm bin, run it through the worms. So worm, worms um, uh, castings <clears throat> in the digestive tract are covered with a uh, calcium carbonate slime so that when the castings uh, exit the digestive tract, 
you have a material that's literally covered in calcium carbonate slime. So that's why people that are using really true worm castings will never have pH issues. It's just that that discussion's over. So when it comes to uh, amendments, I only here's all I use. I use rock uh, basalt, rock dust, or granite. I use uh, kelp at a really small. Okay, uh, let me just explain. A cubic foot is uh, 120 cups. So I'll give you the numbers, show you that. It, okay, so I add uh, two cups of basalt rock dust from uh, Oregon, uh, mined right here in Oregon. I add a quarter cup of kelp. I add a cup of neem. Let's see. Oh yeah, and this one really gets gets the kitties over there at uh, La La Land. Just their panties get all twisted up. Uh, two cups of malted barley, and uh, that's it. Oh, excuse me. Just just to throw the the kitties a bone, I, I broke down and started adding like a cup of either, and only because it was cheaper than limestone. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, 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 not clams, uh, oyster shell powder. Oyster shell powder is 50 cents less for 50 pounds in limestone. And so I thought it had a little panache, you know. Uh, it matters not, they're both calcium carbonate. There you go. So that's my whole, uh, what do you call it, um, new program. Isn't much, is it? <laughs> it's kind of pitiful. And the, the other thing is, and I, I know you'll laugh when you hear this, I've never owned, much less used, a pH meter. My question is, I think a lot of organic growers really want to know, how do you utilize banana peels? Don't you have banana peels to add your potassium? Oh, if no. I do that one more time, I swear to God. I know. Here's what I want to know. Okay, it is a fact that banana, the fruit, has... High, medium to high. It's not off the chart potassium levels. Okay, that's we'll accept that, right? How did that get translated over to the peels? <laughs> I mean, I like walnuts, but I don't eat the shells, or you know, or I don't know. See where I'm going with this? It's just I think some people have a lot of time on their hands. It's kind of like you know when you were maybe some situation where a bunch of guys you're sitting around you know having some beers and you know doing some bong rips and all that and you do that what if what if like the earth was part of a molecule of a bigger being and then you go down that road for a while well what if you know and that's I think a lot of this stuff it just comes out of somebody's ass I mean seriously I, I, I'm, I'm blown away where did you read this? And and was it in English? You know, or, or something, you know, give me a reference point. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and, and I don't understand. Okay, when I first, like, rejoined this thing, you know, because I, I had not done anything for over 20-something years. I mean, on a commercial, I always grew my stash, you know, but I mean, it wasn't, 
But anyway, everybody was obsessed about phosphorus. Oh my God. If you don't get phosphorus, you won't get the big buzz. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then like two or three years later, now we're on potassium. How did that happen? I mean, what became, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I know we have strain of the day, month or week. Now we got nutrient of the month or I don't know. What's next? We'll end of them well, or boron or I mean, I don't know. Well, I can tell you that I'm uh, <laughs> definitely thinking that people underdose them or live in them, but that's for other reasons. But in the aquaponics, because people typically don't really add much of any potassium, it certainly is one of the more th um, common issues that I see. But here's a bio list of bioaccumulators from Duke University. Right. They're, they're, I know. I know that. Uh, that. Yeah. That's that's a wonderful thing to have. It's a great. Oh, hey, can you look up over here? Uh, somebody asked a question about saponins. Could I hit on that just a second? Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, I got this from uh, one of the uh, gardeners at the uh, the China. Excuse me, uh, managers at the Chinese gar garden up in Vancouver, BC, not Vancouver, Washington, across the river. And uh, a lot of people might not be aware, but Vancouver has the largest Chinese population outside of mainland China. It's really phenomenal uh, how how big that culture is in there in that. So this garden you can imagine is a, a masterpiece. And uh, so I asked, what do you use for, you know, control insects and what have you? And he sh pulls out this bag of soap nut shells and come to find out there are 250,000 PPM saponins, 25% saponins, man. And across, there's nine categories of saponins. And in our homes, anything that you use that foams, toothpaste, shampoos, body soap, dish soap, laundry soap, soap doesn't foam unless you add saponins. And that's the foaming agent. Now, in soil, when they use it to mix it, because it breaks the tension, they call it a, a wetting agent. And when it's used on the biomass, like say part of a, a spray, it's now called a surfactant. I don't get it either, but there you go. Surfactant when it's on top of the soil line, wetting agent when it's below. Um, what's really cool about the uh, using it as a, oh, and so here's how it works as a, a fungicide. The spray, the, the saponins, will deconstruct the ecoskeleton on the insect, leaving it exposed to predators or just the elements and they die. And it's really effective. But now here's the best part. So you, and if anybody tries this, do not aerate, do not aerate. It will look like those TV comedy shows where the washing machine went nuts. You will have foam in every room to the ceiling. Uh, that's a promise. And don't say anything to me. I warned you, do oh. not aerate. Oh, if you add a little patchouli oil, would that be good if you have a rave and a bunch of whoops? Yeah, exactly. So you can, um, all right, so when you, oh, so you let them soak overnight. Uh, and then you, like you wanna put them in a kind of a, me a mesh bag or 
an old nylon or whatever, you know, you get the idea. So the next day when you pull it out, now you will, now you want to bubble it maybe 15 minutes at the most. And now just, you hit your soil and hit your leaves full strength. And always do everything at night. Light degrades compounds. So you're going to lose the efficiency if you do it in the morning. Wait till as late as you can, if it's outside, as late as you can. And if it's at a tent, you know, indoors and you have control, as close to lights out as you can. And you'll have, there's another thing you said about application right there, not applying these materials at the correct part of the cycle. Because light deconstructs these carbon molecules, right? The other thing too is uh, don't ever use the products he just described in aquaponics. That is strictly for soil use. If you yes, that, yes, yes, all yes. Of your fish will be dead within five to fifteen minutes. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, but anyway, so when we're done, we can take these shells, and if you use the mesh bag, hang it up, and let them dry till they're as hard as they were when you got them. And my point is that, or my. Uh, uh, help I'm going to offer here is you can use these five or six times. So, I mean, you get a lot of use out of it. Uh, I mean, a lot of use. So you don't need to buy a bunch. Now, some people actually, they'll put them in a mesh bag and they throw it in the washing machine for their clothes because you don't have all those perfumes like you do with commercial laundry detergents. And really it's the foaming action that gets your clothes clean. They don't want you to know that, but uh, just give it a shot. Uh, wash your T-shirts or you know your Levi's or whatever, and uh, just wash it in water with uh, some soap nuts, and you'll probably never go back to uh, uh, what do you call it? You know, laundry soap. And I do. You can get organic certified organic USDA certified organic soap nuts from uh, Mountain Rose Herbs in Eugene. Big time, uh, some of the best selection of uh, botanical roots, shells. I mean, botanical, you know, uh, agents. That's where I get my reishi mushroom extract, the liquid stuff. They have a really good price on uh, organic reishi uh, extracts. Very cool. Uh, I, I want to ask a question. Dank uh, Venue asks, Kud, are you saying soap nut as a spray on its own is good for pest management? Yes, sir, I am. Exactly. So how and every it? culture has had foaming agents going back millennia. Um, what is the soap nut per gallon ratio? Oh, uh, oh, per gallon. I don't know. I always make five gallons. Um, yeah, two so, tablespoons. So the, how much for five gallons? We just divide it. Two by tablespoons five. at the most. Okay, so two tablespoons. So, all right. So we'll just say a quarter tablespoon. Yeah, I mean it, you don't have to worry as long as you don't aerate. Throw that book on teas out the window, man, or you're gonna have you'll be cussing my name till you have grandchildren or something. Uh, <laughs> I promise. It's just. Pardon my French, but it's a friggin' nightmare. I, and I, that's voice of experience here. 
I thought I was on one of those old Lucy shows from the 1950s, you know, where the, the, the washing machine goes haywire and there's just foam and it just keeps pouring out. Well, that's what it looks like. So You'll be damn clean, though. Yes, damn clean. Oh, so back to the compost tea. I want to answer this question because I want to be fair. I was given, or Len, or whatever term you want, a compost tea system that was being sold commercially was made available to me. And so I gave it a fair shot. Um, I applied it, I don't know, I, I was told every 10 days for three applications. Okay. And you got to remember something. I have an advantage that most people don't. I've been growing the same strain forever. So if I do anything different, I'm going to see something good, bad, or indifferent, right? And Jack London once made the observation about Oakland. There's no there there. Well, I just didn't see it, brother. And now they're not even promoting teas. Now it's extracts. You take the, the material and you put it in a mesh bag. Of course, you got to buy it from Earthfort in Corvallis, home of Elaine Ingham's deal. Can we just say how bullshit the whole diaphragm only pump thing is? Oh, I worked yeah. with reef tanks for years and years. It's one of the few things that pisses me off about the organic stuff. And I'm not going to name names but you do not need a diaphragm pump to get good microbial stuff just don't don't use an atomizer don't use one of these foggers just use a regular old three-headed sprayer like we've shown you before um, but it's one of those weird myths they gotta stop with some of the crazy kooky stuff um yeah i See, I would never be a good uh, partner in a cannabis operation because I'm all about uh, minimalism and simplicity. Honest, I have other things in my life. You know what I mean? I got drones. I got a bulldog. Let's see. I live in Oregon. I just, I can't get too hung up on... Well, you should have used, uh, you know, Canadian butt hairs and not the Armenian. Oh, fuck, man, I got that wrong again. Well, it's just like, you know, we used <laughs> impeller pumps for the last 35 years. Right. For, for reef tanks, right? Yeah. Surely if it had an impact, it would. It, we wouldn't use them on reef tanks. So, like, don't tell me that it's killing the microbes in my sprayer. Like, that's just ridiculous. Come on. You missed one of the best arguments. Okay. This would have been circa 19, no, no, 2011, 2012. Lowenfels had a, uh, Yahoo had groups. Uh, and some of them were by, you know, you know the drill. Some of them were, you had to get a password or whatever. So anyway, he had a, a group, uh, the compost tea group. And so I, you know, of course, because I, I knew these guys before they were, got anything, you know. So it's really hard to impress me, you know, when it, oh, never mind. Um, so anyway, uh, 
One time there was a big argument, raging argument. I'll tell you two. Okay, one of them was, this was on a, uh, I forget the term they used, but the water was going to swirl around and around. And so the discussion was, I'm not bullshitting you. Should it go clockwise or counterclockwise? Okay, but it gets better. Then it came down to the compost tea brewer thing a dynamic, and the argument became the size of the air bubbles. Well, clearly it should be clockwise if you're above the equator and counterclockwise if you're below, or whatever right, the, right, right. the toilets are, right? Is it I don't know. I just... Size of air bubbles? Crystals in them there too. You gotta, you can't forget hanging the crystals above it. Oh yeah, the crystals and uh, so let me. Okay, the guys that I'm going to be working with, they had Tim Wilson build them a 600 gallon tank, brewing tank. So this would have been like 19, uh, maybe 2003, maybe something like. That. Anyway, you get a long time ago, right? So then say, well, goddamn, Coot, how'd it work out? No, no, don't ask that. Say, hey, Coot, how many times did it get used? Now, remember, this is 600 gallons, so it wasn't cheap. Three times. There you go. three times and I posted pictures of their grows in 800 gallon pots and you know because you're always talking to people that are doing maybe if 10 or 15 is a big pot right so 800 gallons they can't even conceptualize it but I mean 9 10 pounds is not uncommon so if you're going to spend that kind of money it better be doing something really dramatic all right like in real world agriculture, you don't have time to be thinking about, well, you know, should I use uh, circular or counterclockwise? Huh? They're worried about elk jumping the goddamn barbed wire. You know what I mean? Uh, rifles are for. Huh? That's why we have rifles. Oh, yeah, but I mean, God, well, talk to Marty. Uh, he lives down there, man elk and deer and and vermin moles and voles and gophers his strategy is to have lot is to have loud children in the yard at all times during the day to prevent the elk from uh, getting back there and then he has the dog at night right so between the two so i guess I, my most honest answer would be if I, rather than spend two grand on a tea brewer you know, the state of the art with whatever, you know, even the one with the um, genital massager on it. I, uh, I'd rather put $2,000 into vertical flow through worm or horizontal flow through worm bins, you know, so or a that's just me though. Or a Keegan water machine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm what, what One time more? online, this was at IC Mag. Tim Wilson and I got into a raging argument about whether. Uh, okay, the argument was basically this. My claim was is that since since worms didn't have uh, 
teeth and didn't have a stomach and all they consumed was bacteria slime which is science you know you, I could I could quote at least 150 entomologists that'll verify that okay I said it's not like well you could put peach melba down in one corner and there's worms sent out hey there's peach melba at the south end and they all run down there okay and so they'll say uh, things like well you know my worms really like watermelon well, watermelon's over 99% water, and the remaining is a great deal of sugar, a simple carbohydrate. Gee, do you think that might have something to do with it? Try putting a potato in that goddamn worm bin. You know, and I don't care if it's a russet or one of the new potatoes. Anyway, so we got in this raging argument, and you've read his stuff, right? And he actually had the audacity to write back to me. Well, sometimes, you know, you can over make things too technical. And I wrote back, you? That's coming from you? Really? You got to come up with something better than that, dude. And, uh, oh, that's too complicated. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, that's some of the comical shit I get when I try to explain some of the advanced microbial stuff and the aquaponic stuff to oh, fine. some of the people that want to be like, oh, you feed the fish and magic happens and your plants grow. And it's like, actually, there's more to the chemistry and you actually have yeah. to like maintain things in ratio. Come on, guys. This is like the same shit as soil. This isn't that different. Come on. Well, you know, I've been emulated and copied more times on genetics you know how many uh clackamas coot soils there are out there uh i mean commercial i'm not talking about i put it out there for people to mix their own soil i didn't put it out there to make somebody a million bucks a year so um yeah i want to see what damage i can do you know, and bring it back to what I wanted. I wanted to help, help people grow better plants and not necessarily cannabis. You know, what if they wanted to grow some food for their family? You know, or whatever, you know, for their business, maybe they're market farmers or market growers as they're called today. I'm kind of dating myself. My, when I was growing up, they were called truck farming. Now it's uh, market growers or something like that. The guys that do the Saturday market type thing, you know, the farmer's market. Farmer's market. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Um, how do people find you? You got anything else you want to plug? Or I will. I tell you what, I'll get a hold of you as soon as I'm, I'm setting up their website. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have a, 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 a column there, you know, an ongoing, uh, and I have an email address and stuff. I just decided uh, when they called at first, I was going, nah, you know, I don't want to, nah, it's all right, man. Because um, that just hasn't been my thing. And then I decided, you know, if I don't have to put any money in it, it's a win-win for me. I already had, I've been telling people where to get stuff for what, 15 years. So I'm just going to make it available at a really good price. And, uh, you know, people want to save money. They know that they can come to Coots Newts and uh, get them at a fair price. And uh, I'm not going to do anything like weird, you know. Uh, what do you mean you don't have, you know, some insane 
What we really want to know is how much is your Calmeg? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know what? I've asked people on this type of venue and they were all talking about the necessity of Calmeg. So I, I said, can I ask a question? Oh, sure. Could go ahead. What is in Calmag? Six blank faces. Well, I don't know. I just, I get the bottle that says Calmag. I said, well, we got a little problem here. Calcium is a metallic element. You can't, it's not going to melt into water unless it's been hit with EDTA, right? Been uh, artificially chelated. Chelated? And I thought, uh-oh. Man, I opened up a can of worms now. So anyway, I never did find out what was in. I I assume it's calcium and magnesium, but I'm, I'm not so sure anymore that I should assume anything. Most of the time it's calcium nitrate, magnesium nitrate, or calcium nitrate, magnesium sulfate. Um, sometimes if it's better, it'll be calcium sulfate and magnesium sulfate or magnesium carbonate, depending on whether or not they're trying to balance the pH or not. Uh, it really just depends on, you know, the quality of it. But traditionally, it's been uh, calcium nitrate, potassium nitrate. I'm sorry, calcium nitrate, magnesium nitrate. I'm very tired today. Is that the uh, calcium form that uh, Japan uses uh, traditionally Japanese tofu to coagulate the uh, soy milk? I have no idea. Okay. Well, you know, the Chinese, it was Buddhist monks are the ones that invented tofu and they started out using uh, gypsum, calcium sulfate. And that's why, why you get a really firm block of tofu. When the Buddh Buddhism moved to uh, Japan and married up with the Shintos and thus was born, a little more complicated than that. So anyway, um, they began using a form of calcium and they sell it in Japanese markets. It's a, a, a tofu coagulant. And so you take the milk, they grind it. And, and I had, believe it or not, I had a tofu milk uh, maker. You put the tofu, or excuse me, the soybeans in the deal uh, and water. And then uh, you plugged it in. It was typical Japanese thing work, but you didn't know how. You know, the electronics, the kitchen electronics are really trippy. And uh, I realized how much crap they had to put in products like silk, you know, the uh, soy milk that tastes really good. Believe me, raw soy milk is horrible. It's like, who, in, who would drink this? Uh, so then I got a tofu block from Japan. And so you, it was really cool, man. You made your own uh, tofu. And the, the Japanese tofu is a lot softer. And then when you get into Southeast Asia, those forms of tofu, like Thailand and Cam, they're all uh, use a slightly different uh, recipe as far as the coagulant. But it's a pretty f uh, pure product. It's water, soybeans, and uh, not even salt, uh, the, just the coagulant. You'd like it. You, this would be right up your alley, brother. Yeah, well, check out uh, Tofu Makers. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out, man. How do people find you or, or follow you if they want to check out more? Of your uh, I just gave my uh, the uh, one I use just for general stuff. So Clackamas Coot one at Gmail. 
the numeral one, not uh, spelled out. Clackamas Coot one, and then at uh, Gmail. Cool. Awesome. And you can find Marty at AP Meds. He has a Patreon uh, and uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram and Cannabis. And then you can find me at Potent Ponix, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all the different things. And uh, you can also check us out over at, um, we have a uh, our full online class at apmjclass.com, which you can check out here. We, we touched on it a little bit earlier. And then we also have uh, apmjnutes.com. Uh, if you want to get newts in one and four pound amounts, uh, or you can uh, message us and buy more. Uh, or if you've never done it before, you know, as long as you know how many weeks of, of beds you want, you can pick, you know, your aquarium size. If you have, you know, a smaller aquarium system, the number of weeks of flower for your cultivar that you want to provide nutrients for, and, and away you go. So kind of try to make it as simple as possible. Um, you know, you can see worm castings versus supplemented with worm castings and aquaponic dual root zones. So just to kind of show you the difference, you know, you absolutely can do uh, production without it, but, you know, I think it's easy to tell which one you'd rather have in your own garden. So definitely check that out if you're looking to just make your life easy. Uh, if you already know what you're doing, uh, you know, by all means, you know, we try to just provide some fish safe nutrients that don't have high heavy metals uh, and other things in them uh, that might cause you an issue. So definitely check that out and uh, we'll catch you guys again next week. Cheers. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, thank you very much for the invitation. As always, I really enjoy uh, talking with you. You're uh a really good one to, you know, stretch my brain with, uh, you bring up, uh, oh, your knowledge base is unreal. And uh, it's always a pleasure. And I also wanted to add, I uh, had dropped out of uh, Instagram and I went and signed up today. So uh, I'll, there'll be a Clackamas Coot Instagram and I'm, I'm going to name my, uh, I want to be a consultant, be like the cool guys. So I came up with, uh, George Bush, the president, used to call Carl Rove Turd Blossom. That was his nickname when they were in college together. So anyway, Turd Blossom uh, Consulting. And uh, <laughs> all I need now is a YouTube channel and a Patreon account. <laughs> so uh, I'm just joking. I just thought it'd be, it was funny. So You're welcome. Anytime. We love having you. You and I, I think, uh, very much vibe heavily intellectually and... Uh, always enjoy speaking with you if you guys want to hear more of me and coot uh speaking we've done previous episodes on this show and then you can also check us out for quite a few additional hours over on the fumador and, and the flavors channel uh, as well so yeah it's always a pleasure to uh, talk with you and I, I really appreciate your uh input and uh you get a good sounding board for some of my positions that you know, I'm an old curmudgeon, you know, so I, uh, <laughs> God damn it, I don't want that newfangled stuff, you know. But on, on your deal, aquaponics, I consider that one of the more ancient, not the way that you are effectively implemented, but I'm saying the general approach goes, what, to Persians? I mean, of well, several millennia up. ago before it arrived in the New World, which I'm still a little confused how that happened, how it ended up from Persia to the Incas and Mayans, so... It's always fascinating to kind of ponder some of those uh, existential questions, you know. Yeah, as far as the that goes, yeah, the Chinampas from Mexico City uh, was really the and the, the the lake there in Mexico City was really the uh, the oldest, um, you know, uh, I guess super large scale. You also have in Vietnam, you know, Angkor Wat was very similar to right. setup. 
you know so we have the same yeah. kind of thing replicated around the world um, the hanging gardens of babylon and, and uh, uh you know other historic gardens have all had you know similar converted marshlands uh, that are highly productive uh, especially when they're near volcanic areas so um you know definitely a, a, a cool methodology and something that's been around for a long time and uh, something that we love to see uh you know modernized so cool all right man 